Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. I am Sean Windsor, a columnist at the Detroit Free Press. Carlos is, Carlos, define yourself, please. I think it's better that way. Uh, bon vivant and man about town. Man about town, bon vivant. Is that a little redundant? You like redundancies, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you can't emphasize something, a good point, enough times. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right, well, listen, we've got uh, a, a hopefully a pretty good show, maybe a really good show. It depends on how good our guest is, our special guest. Oh, I'm so excited. I know. Jeff Rieger co-host of the Wojo and Rieger show podcast. Uh, I don't know. It's Look, Jeff Rieger's a lot more than just, uh, not that I want to diminish that show. He he does a lot more. He's everywhere, man, in the Detroit sports scene. So we're lucky to have him. We're going to get his opinion on uh, you know a few things that have to do with Detroit sports, especially last weekend and that craziness down at Ford Field. Uh, before we get, uh, or excuse me, after we get to Jeff, we're going to, again, talk a little bit more about that. Some football, college football, the the, the wild Michigan State Nebraska win, and then we're going to get into everybody's favorite subject, vaccinations and who gets to play and who doesn't. The fact that YouTube, by the way, I think Carlos just decided they're not going to let any anti-vaxxer uh, videos up or anti-vax material up. I don't know if you saw that that news break in the day, but that's all sort of part of what's going on. The NBA, it's a big deal. Anyway, so we'll get to that in a minute, but first, uh, Jeff doesn't have, I don't think, a lot of time. Carlos, he's apparently outside because he didn't want to wake his wife up. Is it, do, you, do, you, do you buy that? Do you believe that, Carlos? And no, I don't buy it. He, he's circling every arena, every stadium right now looking for the scoop. That's what that's Rieger, man. Yeah, looking for a place to shove that microphone, which he is uh, – no, nobody does that better than he does in our in our market, that's for sure. Well, can I, go ahead. Can I just say this real quick is I am so excited because Jeff Rieger is one of my absolute favorite people, in not only in sports media but in sports. I love seeing him at games. It's just – Everybody, he just like brightens the room. Everybody likes him. He starts fun conversations. I mean, it's just, it's just a joy. I love being, and he, he tortured Brad Osmus for years. That was the little cherry on top. But I just, I'm so excited, Sean. Oh, but well, okay, we got to get to him here for a second. But you're right, the smile's great. But it was goes way back before Brad, and we can talk about this with Jeff. He used to needle, not intentionally, but Jim Leland. I was in that that office, uh, Leland's office, all the time. Oh, everyone, just, nobody. He spares just, no one. It was it was great. It was great theater. Absolutely. You know? But uh, in any case, hey Jeff, thanks for joining us. Uh, we can't sit here and keep pumping you up forever. Thanks for thanks for coming in here, man. You guys are doing a great job. Can you just continue? <laughs> by, by, by the way, a lot of pressure, fellas. You say the podcast is only going to be as good as the guests. I mean, come on, I, I can't live up to that. No, that's an, I know that's so unfair, but Carlos and I are lame. I'm probably lamer than Carlos, so I, I, you know. <laughs> I agree. So, so it really is about the guests. Hey, all you have to do is last week we had uh, the DCFC owner Sean Mann, you know, the, the the soccer excuse me football club right Detroit, and he was he was good. So you know you can live up to him, right? I do my best. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. It's great that it's great to be here, guys. And uh, as much as you guys like seeing me, which I'm not quite sure I believe anything you just said, uh, I love seeing you guys at the games as well. Even Carlos. Even Carlos, you know, I always say this. I always say this. Carlos is one of my favorite people. And when Carlos wrote the Matt Patricia article years ago that he had lost the team or the veterans didn't like him, Carlos got ridiculed throughout Detroit sports media, radio stations, TV. Sta- they were all going after Carlos. And Carlos was right at the end. No, he, he, he absolutely was right. What, how long did that take you to write, Carlos? A week? Oh no, no! Two. I mean, it was it was during uh, it was during what was it? Uh, spring practices, uh, mini camp, and all that. And uh, you know, it was just uh, it was a, a, a an observation, I guess, after talking to some of the players and how they were feeling and acting and whatever. You get the vibe, you know, being around the NFL for so long. Um, and you know, you know, history has redeemed me, right, Jeff? I mean, I'm glad that you're acknowledging that. Uh, there was even a uh, there was even a counterpoint column in the Free Press, I think, that disputed my knowledge and my expertise. I don't know who wrote it, but uh, that person is like, I think you, I, I think you did when you started slow dancing with him his last year here. <laughs> no, you know the thing. I worry. Well, let's not. No. Which was which, which? by the way, was really confusing. Jeff, can you explain that? Can you explain that flip from Carlos? Because you know him. That, that's a great point, Sean. I did wonder the same thing myself because you are right. Like he came out guns a blazing when he said the team doesn't like this coach and everybody just destroyed Carlos. 
And then at the end, it seemed like you were one of Matt Patricia's biggest defenders. Well, there was a column written about about that after Patricia got fired last year. It was really good. I wrote it, um, and it was <laughs> it ex, it explained the whole thing. And basically, the nutshell. I don't want to. Let's not talk about this. Is not the Matt Patricia show, but the, no, it's the Carlos show. It's the Jeff Carlos show. and with Sean and Jeff, and and the upshot was that you know we got to know each other, and I understood his kind of um, you know tact for what he wanted to do, how he wanted to build a team. Basically, he wanted a team. He didn't want star players who were griping, and he wanted a culture. And I think he went about it the wrong way in some cases. Um, I didn't. I never agreed with the running for punishment kind of thing. Um, I think he should have gotten a, along with some of his stars better, like Darius Slay. I was not in favor of him getting rid of him. But I understood that he was what he was trying to do, that he wanted to build a culture centered around you know, team first, not me first. And um, so, so I got that, you know, and I think that's part of it. You know, you have to, you have to understand where people are coming from. You may not agree with them, um, but you have to understand that. I think, I think, right. All of us, right. Well, we, we talked to all these managers and coaches and over the years, and at first, some of the stuff they do is like weird. And, but after a while, you know, at least you can respect their opinion and, and, you know, where they're coming from. Real quickly, and I don't want to hijack our own show here. <laughs> we got to get to we got to get to Jeff, but but Jeff, I wrote, I want you to know you probably don't remember this because I'm sure you never read me. Oh, but stop. Carlo, uh, the, the 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 I wrote a column there first game. It was the Jets, right? That blowout. It was oh, a yeah. Monday night game, maybe. and I wrote that he was in over his head. And I remember doing radio in Boston the next day because they're like, "What? They love Matt Patricia out in 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 New England." So I wasn't quite where Carlos was coming out of minicamp. I wanted to at least give him a game, and I felt I actually felt a little guilty writing that after one game, but uh, I think that was true too. So there you go, Carlos. Yeah, you know, I mean, like Jeff, you know, we're in the locker rooms a lot. Sean comes to the locker rooms once a season, so he's not in there very often. But, <laughs> but Jeff and I understand. We we know the players. You get to know them. You know, I knew Darius Slay pretty well. Um, you know, guys like that, where you can sense like I don't like this. This is not cool. And as he afterward, you know, as he's said publicly several times, you know, the way he was disrespected by Patricia and stuff. You kind of get that feeling sometimes from some of the players, especially the veterans. Like, it's not good. When a veteran, you know, it doesn't like what a new coach is doing, That's it's going to be hard to build a team around that. Um, you know, so so that that was kind of the warning, you know, the, the, the warning sign, I guess, that we saw. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, Hey, Matt Patricia was good for business, right? I mean, you know. Oh, my God. Right, Jeff? Matt, Matt Patricia. I, I actually feel I owe him money. If he didn't make so much money himself, <laughs> and I think he's still getting paid by the Lions. Oh, those Lions postgame shows when he would make boneheaded calls and then afterwards say nothing in his postgame scrum. Fans were so upset. That was fantastic. Well, up to a point. I mean, I understand it for your business and radio, but up to a point, because after after a while, all that losing by November, at least for us, and I think Carlos will test you, the readership starts to fall off, right? I mean, but they, they got to have something to look forward to at some point. No, 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 no. no. I'm telling you. Go ahead, Jeff. Until he was fired. When he was fired, like right after that Thanksgiving Day game, the fury was out. Yes. People hated that man. They made fun of the fact he was a rocket scientist, which which I always made the joke. I mean, thank God he's coaching football instead of working for NASA because we'd really be in trouble. <laughs> That's funny. But, 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 but people despised him. So up until he finally got let go with Bob Quinn, people would just call up just to be angry. Like I remember the one game they lost to Carolina 20 nothing, and they lost to an XFL quarterback. And that was, I think, the final straw. People have had enough. I think the next week he got fired or maybe two weeks after that. But like – I'm my awful coach's power rankings. I got Patricia right up there and I got Brad Osmus up there. Two guys that the fan base just despised. And it's good for us because we like hearing them whine about it. Well, at least with Osmus, they got to the playoffs, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, so there was at least a little something. The problem with Osmus, too, is he had that smartest guy in the room thing. I actually liked Brad. I did, too. Um, and enjoyed picking his brain. He was he was obviously very smart. And I know he, got, he gave that vibe off. I don't, I don't know what you thought. But his problem was he was following a fairly successful run, right, with Leland. And I know they didn't win it, but they had a lot of winning. And so they won. he won early, and then it fell off pretty quickly. So, you know, that's also tough to follow, too. No, I agree. Like, the first year, they barely win the division. And then if you remember, 
they got swept by the Orioles and he made that really yep. stupid decision with Anibal Sanchez in game two. Delman Young beat him and Nelson Cruz beat him. And then they got swept and then it was downhill from there. They, they took a team. He took a team that had Cy Young winners and MVPs and just an unbelievably star-studded team. And by the time he was out, they were the worst team in all of baseball and they got a chance to draft Casey Mize. And I actually... I actually went up Stoney, who works at the radio station with us, when he came back with the Angels. And God knows how he got another job. But when he came back with the Angels, it was a weekday game. And he's back, and Stoney and I go up to him, and he tells us this story that Al Avila actually sent him a text saying, hey, welcome back in town. And Brad sent him a text back saying, you guys should be thanking us, or me. And Al was like, what for? And Brad's like, I got you guys Casey Mice, didn't I? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so at least he knew he failed, but at least he had a good sense of humor about it. Hey, speaking of that era, because I want to ask you this, and I know Carl's has some questions. Uh, so uh, you're right, Osmus was hated. Man, I got a lot of uh, angry, angry emails about uh, Dave Dombrowski, which kind of looking back seems crazy considering what he did, you know, people used to complain about the bullpen and so forth. But so he got some hate there for a while, despite all that winning, I think because they didn't take that less lead. But in your time here, and you'll have to tell us how long you've been in this market, uh, forgive my ignorance, who, who are some of the most hated guys outside of uh, despised coaches, maybe players even, if you want to include that, uh, outside of uh, uh, Patricia and, and Osmus? Well, I can't I can't believe you don't know how long I've been around, Sean. I mean, just, just really hurtful. 30 um, years. Uh, I started in 2002, believe it or not. And uh, I don't know when I started covering games, maybe 2005, 2006, something like that. But uh, yeah, I, I remember when I first started covering games, I was afraid the great Lynn Henning. I remember he got mad at me. He was doing a one-on-one with Bobby Higginson. Station sent me down to a Tiger game. First game I ever covered. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I didn't know how it all worked. Lynn's doing a one-on-one with Higgy. And I'm like, I, I guess I got to get some sound here. So I actually took my mic and tried to do it with him not noticing, but I put my mic like right in their conversation and Lynn Henning shouted and yelled at me. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is great. From that point on, I was afraid to ask a question for probably, I don't know, like a year. And then I got my bearings about me, but th- that was my first interaction as far as hated players. And wait, wait, can I, can and- I just interrupt just for a second, just for the listeners out there, it is almost impossible to get Lynn Henning to hate you or to be mad at anybody. So you ask know, Justin Verlander. I watched Justin Verlander take his head off in Seattle. Well, night. well, uh, <laughs> media, I would say, I would say reporters and media. <laughs> I know Je- Lynn is one of the most like gracious guys. And so, he so, is. So no, kudos, awesome. kudos to Jeff for accomplishing that. All right, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, no problem. No problem. As far as like, so hated coaches. I mean, Matt Patricia, definitely right up there. Jim Caldwell was kind of hated too. And now you look back on it and you say like, why was he hated? Considering he actually won with the Lions. Um, Osmus, without a doubt, definitely hated. And believe it or not, and towards the end, I think Babcock might have been a little hated. And he brought the Wings the Cup, but I think what happened in the final year or, you know, the the year after the Cup in 2009 when they lost in seven games, I think a lot of people kind of fell off his bandwagon despite the fact that they won a Cup. I know the players hated Babcock maybe more than the fans hated him. As far as <laughs> players, man, fans did not like Prince Fielder towards the end, especially with the I Got Kids comment. And who else? I'm trying to think, oh, uh, another one is a uh, Johan Franzen. And, you know, it's a, it's tragic, really, how his career ended. But fans did not like him at all, either. And that was more for play, Wait, wait, right? wait, wait, I mean, wait, wait, wait. You for who, The number one, number one, Eric Ebron. Come on. Oh, my God. You, you know what? See, see, thank God you guys are here. Fans despised Ebron. The crazy thing is, I loved Eric Ebron. Oh, yeah. He was a phenomenal quote. See, I don't care if you're good or bad. I just like if you're a good talker. Like everybody hated Nick Castellanos, another one. It's weird. I freaking love Nick Castellanos because yes. he's a phenomenal talker. But yet for some reason or another, Nick Castellanos, and I remember getting this audio. It was his last year in Detroit. Al Avila already said they're going to trade him. He totally bungled that entire thing. And Nick was actually a really good clubhouse guy. Him and Shane Green were like, like actually mentors to these young players. And I remember going up to Nick and Nick started talking about Miggy and how unfair the ballpark is and started bitching about the dimensions in the ballpark. <laughs> and I got that audio and I sent it out. We played it on the station. From that point on, everybody hated Nick. And I'm like, 
why are you upset with Nick when everybody feels the exact same way that the dimensions are way too big? Victor Martinez, who people hated too towards the end, felt the same way. Miguel Cabrera felt the same way too. But for some reason or another, people hated Nick for those comments. People, people are uncomfortable with hard truths. And most players keep it to themselves. They're not going to go out there because they know what's going to happen, you know? So, I mean, that's why, like, we, you know, Jeff and I, you know, I think we're on the same page. We like players who are willing to tell it like it is. And, and even it. if and even if they're wrong, whatever, it's their perspective, you know? And I always feel bad about it when someone like Ebron or Castellanos or someone, you know, goes off and says they complain about something. I remember I was there when Castellanos, when he just started, he opened up a vein one day shortly before he was traded. And he's, and he said, you know, like, I feel like I've been betrayed by this organization. They brought me up. This is home. and But they don't want me. They don't want me part of this rebuild. He And he was genuinely hurt. But people hated him for that, too. You know, and it's I think, unfortunately, readers and listeners and stuff, they, you know, they kind of say they want one thing, but they really don't want they want information. They want access. But then when people are a little bit too informative or too truthful with their feelings they jump on them it's a it's a tough gig for players and coaches you are damned if you do you're damned yeah. if you don't right i mean nobody likes a boring interview but you're probably safest being boring right because nobody's gonna get obviously upset with what you say believe it or not brandon inge i mean now, now you asked me this question they're all like flowing in my head <laughs> Inge was another one yeah could not have been a nicer dude one time showed me his paycheck he said, hey, Rieger, come over here. I kid you not. Dude was making six million bucks a year. And one time, you know, every Thursday, every other Thursday, he handed out the paychecks. And I would assume this was direct deposit. But he showed me his paycheck. It was like $300,000 for two weeks. So pretty amazing. But but this was a guy that said so many different things that he wasn't going to give up the third base to Miguel Cabrera. Or I'll never forget, we were in Cleveland. And... Brandon Inch said, it's like they're pitching me like I'm Mickey Mantle or Joe DiMaggio or Lou Gehrig. So somebody asked Leland that question. They're like, hey, Inge's out there saying that he's getting pitched tough. And Leland, in his typical Leland fashion, smoking a cigarette, he's got his <laughs> shoes off, he's got his shirt off, he's leaned back in his chair. He's like, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, you know, every now and then, if you want to be compared to those guys, you might effing want to hit like one of those guys. <laughs> But yeah. he Inge got under the fan skin too. But he defended Inge all the time. All you had to do was like bring up something about like why is he in the lineup or why is he still hitting whatever, and he'd go reach over for the media guide and read his career stats on whatever on base percentage or like pretty good, right? Pretty good, you know. So <laughs> you know he always he 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 kind of got Inge. I'm sure he didn't like how much he talked, but uh, but yeah, Inge was all time one of the all time great interviews. No, he, he was great. But Leland would also, and you probably remember this too, Jeff. I remember I was in Kansas City one time for a series, and Inge was really struggling. And he he talked to a few of us, right, about how close he was and how it was just a, you know, a, a CNI single or, or a bloop here or there, a little flare, whatever that did just get his batting average up. I don't know, 20, 30, 40 points. And Leland saw that the next day, and we were in a pregame in the club in his office in the clubhouse in the visitors' clubhouse at, at the Royal Stadium. And he finishes what he wants to say, and the cameras leave, and he says, all right, I'm going off the record. And he lit into Inge and because he wanted us to take that information about what he really thought about Inge and <laughs> write it without attributing it to him. So Leland was a master manipulator that he, way. Sean, you are dead on. Like, I think and nobody realizes this. I think the, the best thing that Leland was, I think he was a good skipper and, you know, he had his faults too. I, I don't think I will ever forgive him for, you know, not pitching Kenny Rogers in game five of the 06 World Series on normal rest, but whatever. That's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> Let it go. And, but, but I tell you what, he put out so many fires because when he knew stuff was going on in his clubhouse and towards the end, he had star after star after star. I mean, millions of dollars in payroll in there. Leland would go after somebody, whether it be me or he'd pick a fight or he'd say something outlandish <laughs> and none of the reporters would bother to go in the clubhouse. Instead, they would rush upstairs to the press box and write what Jim Leland just said. I can't tell you how many times I sent Jim Leland audio to Mike and Terry at the time, and that would be their entire afternoon show. Like Leland had so many good rants, but now you look back at it and Sean, you're so right. How many times was he covering up for a situation in the locker room clubhouse that somebody, a reporter probably would have under, uh, uncovered, but they never went in there because Leland was so entertaining or so interesting. 
Well, yeah, no, he used us. I mean, and he used to, he used to tell me that, you know, that was part of it. He, he liked to get messages through us oh, yeah. in, in, a, in a certain way, but he didn't want it to be obvious. And I'm sure there were plenty of players that were savvy enough, but no, he was, he was unbelievable that way. Wasn't he? He, he, he was really, savvy. Hey, listen, let's, let's, uh, let's talk shop just for a second, because we're talking about these players and coaches, the fans get riled up. I'm curious what drives your show just the, the radio and general sports radio in general more that that kind of anger or the love like if a team goes on a run and people are excited to talk about a big game a, a, a crazy ending a big shot a big hit something like that well you like to think it's the big shot the big hit the big play but uh there's three letters in radio that i live by rfr root for radio and when i started this i, w- I was a fan I, and i, I well, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm pretty jaded now. I think we are all jaded after being in the media for a while. But I, I was a big-time Lions fan, and now I just happen to laugh at them. But the more outlandish they lose or the uh, a closer blowing a game in the ninth inning or you know mismanagement, not using timeouts properly, nothing is better for radio than that. Now, don't get me wrong. If you get a team on the verge of a championship – Fans are into it. They're going to call. They're totally going to be locked on every word you're saying. However, what also works and what I think works better is the anger. When, like, for instance, the Lions losing the other day. This Lions team stinks. I don't think there's any question about this. But that was the biggest, most SOL way to lose a football game (laughs) from Sheila Ford getting booed so much that she couldn't even talk about Calvin Johnson to – the mismanagement by Dan Campbell, the timeout, the rushing three, the fourth and 19, and then the 66-yarder that not only goes in but hits the crossbar, suspends in the air for like 15 seconds, and then hits the net like a one-in-a-million kick. And even though fans know this team is no good, and even though fans, for the most part, have given this team a pass, and you know we're going to wait and see what happens with the rebuild, people were furious. They were furious at the fact that the delay of game wasn't called. They were furious that Dan Campbell mismanaged the game. So winning is great. And winning titles is even better. But there's nothing quite like it in radio when you really have something to sink your teeth into. And let's be honest, we're human beings. We like the bitch. We like the moan. And that's why the Lions <laughs> have been so great over the course of, of, of my entire lifetime. Because they, they stir the pot. They get the phones going. No, they do. And and Carlos especially likes to bitch. And we're going to have him do that. Oh, I know he uh, does. Hey, hey, let me ask you real quick. I'm a, do you have do you have some time for us? A little bit yeah, more time? Yeah. Do you have to go? Okay. No, this is, I, this I'm is, here this for is, you, fellas. This is too fun. We want to we want to take you into the second uh, the second section, but we need to. Take whoa, whoa, very... whoa! Does that mean I did a good enough job? You did a, a, an awesome wow. job, and wow, and now we're going to let Carlos come back and and he can complain because he loves to do that. But I, but please stick around. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. My name is Dave Boucher, and I'm a government and politics reporter for the Detroit Free Press. In the past year, we've brought you the impact of the 2020 general election and debunked mountains of misinformation. All the while, we continue to delve into the policies and politics driving the fight against COVID-19. There's never been a more critical time to produce reliable information while holding the powerful accountable. But we can't do that alone. By subscribing to the Free Press, you're supporting quality local journalism that creates a stronger community for everyone. And it's never been easier to join. For just $1, you'll get six months of full digital access to all of my work, along with excellent coverage on autos, sports, and additional topics chronicled by my wonderful colleagues here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to freep.com slash special offer. Thank you. Welcome back to the Free Press Sports Show. Yes, Carlos, we always say show. We change the title in the second segment because that's just the way it is. With me, Sean Windsor, uh, a, a, an idiot, and Carlos Menares, I'm not sure who he is, but Jeff Rieger, who is a star, and uh, I think he's going to become a superstar after this podcast. What do you think, Carlos? <laughs> yes, but let's 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 get it right, okay? We're, we can screw up our title all the time, all, as much as you want, Sean, but Jeff Rieger, media superstar, is co-host of Wojo and Rieger on 97.1 The Ticket weekdays from 6 to 8 p.m., and really, the only reason we're having on on here so that he can, you know, share our podcast with his audience and tweet it out and give us a big social media boost. But is weekdays, Wojo going to do that? Well, I, I heard you guys only wanted me because Wojo wouldn't turn you down. Well, no, no, no that's no, not. No, 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 I don't, no, no, I don't no. want to hear about orange chicken and, and, and <laughs> you, you know, no, no. I mean, and, and 
Come on, man. Jeff, Jeff, that's not true. Wojo turned us down. Valeni turned us down. Rico turned us down. So you're, you're like number eight or nine on the list, buddy. Hey, you know what? Eight or nine is pretty good. Absolutely. You're actually number one. Carlos, you know, Carlos told me a couple of weeks ago, or maybe when we first started the podcast a decade ago, he said, I want Jeff Rieger on. And I, I'm being completely sincere, Jeff. He did. He fought for you. He, we didn't ask anybody else. I mean, other than the you know, DCFC owner, but that, whatever. That's football. Right, Sean didn't want you. I fought hard like a tiger for you. Jeff, no, so. Tad didn't want you because Tad doesn't care about sports except for <laughs> soccer. Wow, so Tad seemed like would... such a nice guy too. That hurts. Well, he is a nice guy. Wow. Just knows, you know, soccer right? fan. He, soccer fan says it all. He's young too. He's a, if you're a soccer fan like Tad is, Jeff, then you're under thirty, right? I think so. Right? Yeah, uh, I think the kids like soccer these days. They don't like yeah. normal sports. And you don't. You probably don't ever talk about that on your show, do you? Um, you know, one time, remember when we were supposed to be getting an MLS team? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It was supposed to be in the prison. Um, <laughs> we talked about that and we like, I, I mean, I remember I was on with Stoney and we, uh, we did a, what would the team be called? And I believe Stoney's suggestion was, uh, Detroit city F you. <laughs> and I, I said, call them the Detroit prisoners because they, they're playing. On the, they, the old jail. Yeah, they were going to build on that jail site. Hey, let's get back to you. So you, you were talking about Dan Campbell's <laughs> mismanagement of the game. And you're right. Last week's game, I mean, history was set, right? The longest field goal ever. Uh, I don't know if it was more Lions. Maybe it was. It's just Was that as worse of regular season loss as you've seen from the Lions in your 18-plus years doing this? Oh, God. Uh, no. No. So, so, so okay. There's so many guys. You see, this is the beauty of SOL. Like, like Wojo and I, the other day, it's funny. Last Wednesday, right? I asked Wojo the question. I'm like, listen, I got a lot of grief on social media when I use the term SOL. Like, are we just supposed to like retire SOL, send SOL to all expe- expenses trip to like to, to Cabo with Kelly Stafford and uh, Matthew Stafford? It, it, what are we doing with SOL? Because apparently you're not allowed to use same old lines in a rebuild. And Wojo and everybody else, you would not believe how many people said you can't use SOL. You can't use SOL. SOL was listening because I believe, I, I, I don't necessarily believe in God, but I believe in SOL. I can tell you that much <laughs> because SOL was listening. And not only was he listening, he went into action on Sunday from everything that happened and how that game ended. That was totally SOL. But was it the most, was it the worst loss? I would say 2013 against the Ravens when Justin Tucker kicked the 61-yarder. That's a pretty bad loss. 2016, when they had to win one of three games against, it was the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Packers. And remember Matthew Stafford at the Pinky? And they got rolled in all of those games. You know, go back to the Kelvin not completing the process in Chicago. The Seattle game. Do you remember the Seattle game where Kelvin fumbled and nobody knew the rules? Uh, the Green Bay Monday night game where they got boned by the officiating legitimately. And so there's so many of them. So I don't know if, I don't think this was the worst one because I don't think anybody believes this team's any good, but man, there's been so freaking many of them. I'll tell you what, the, the ultimate one was 1983. I don't even know if you guys were in the market. I'm a nine-year-old kid, a young Jeff Rieger sitting in his basement with my father and my brother <laughs> watching the Lions and Niners in, and Gary Danielson threw five interceptions. And Eddie Murray, Mr. Reliable, has a chance to win the football game and send the Lions on in the freaking playoffs, and he misses the kick. And my father, my God bless him, he's since passed, he looked at me, and I think this is a Detroit tradition. I really believe this. At some point, fathers say to their children, don't ever be a fan of this effing team. And my dad <laughs> said that to me, and I should have listened. We all should listen. But it started that far back, at least for me. That's crazy. I, I, you know, with my boys, they they started asking for. Uh, I'm trying to think of. They're in their early 20s now. So when they were, what you're talking about back then, they, they wanted a Peyton Manning jersey. They asked for a Ladainian Tomlinson jersey. Smart and kids. I know, but I kept saying no. Just stay with the Lions, right? So I, I got him a Calvin Johnson at one point. I mean, I, you know, I can't be a fan, but this is their team. And then they love them now, and they're and they're with them. They would never wear another team's jersey. But when they were young, you know, when you when you're seven, you want to root for a winner. So. That's kind of tricky, and I think that's true for a lot of kids in this area. But uh, I, I don't know, man. A 66-yarder hits the goalpost and goes forward? <laughs> no, I, you know what? But here's I mean, the that's thing. Just, 
after fourth and nineteen? No, I think that I think that I mean to me the one the one game that I really felt you know like that that it was like this was just it felt like the line I, I want to say robbed but the Golden Tate goal line you know he didn't get oh, yeah, across and the, yeah and the ten second runoff it was such a like. We're not only you're not only getting this touchdown, but we're just ending the game right here. You just go away. You guys go. <laughs> I've never I've never seen the fans so dejected, and it's a home game, obviously. And and the way that people are like, what happened? You know, it's just like it's like your your mom came down on Christmas or whatever and said, yeah, there's no Santa. I, you know, he's never existed. It's all a lie. You know, sorry, I'm going back to bed, kid. No presents this year. It was so. I, I just, I, it was like a numbing feeling, you know, because it wasn't really their fault or anything. But, you know, was like that, when, when was Aaron that Kansas Rogers... City Carlos? Oh. Who was that? That was a, to beat know. a decent team. What, to help us out, Jeff, do you remember? Yeah. That was Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta. That's right. It was Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah, yeah it, it was Atlanta, and that was a touchdown. And obviously, right. the 10 second runoff, that, that's a great one. I remember that one. I remember doing the post game show after that, and people were furious. But we didn't even bring up the biggest one, I think. And that's the back and forth kind of thing. Thursday night football, Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary, where the the Devin Taylor face mask wasn't a face mask. Right. So they get the extra play. Lions were kind of pseudo in the playoff race there. And Rodgers to Rodgers, Reggie Rodgers, right? And Richard, I remember Richard. Jim Caldwell afterwards, somebody said, well, how are you not prepared for that? And he said, we thought they were going to do the back and forth kind of thing, which he was thinking lateral. Like right. you don't know Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball that far. So that, that was a, that, that could be the worst one. And I think Calvin Johnson, the other thing was why isn't Calvin Johnson playing safety in the yeah. end zone? But you know what? Here's the difference though, is I think when that play, you know, Aaron Rodgers to Richard Rodgers and the, you know, that that's an amazing play, whatever, you know, the Justin Tucker kicks, you know, amazing. It's one thing when a team beats you, I think it's easier to accept that when you're outplayed or somebody does something amazing. But when you feel like you're cheated, like the, the batting the ball through the end zone in Seattle, you feel like it was taken away from KJ you. Wright. Yeah, KJ Wright batting it through the end. You know, that's when you feel like this isn't fair. The pro- this the was process, a mistake. The process, right? With- the yeah, the process catch. You you feel like something. That's where the football gods, right? Where SOL, like something beyond your control or or something beyond our knowledge steps in. It's probably Bobby Lane laughing at everybody somewhere in the beyond, you know. But that's when you feel really cheated. Like this. This is okay, Jeff. Is this franchise cursed? Yes or no? Yeah, of course, hundred percent. Okay, of course, all right. But like, like, guys, guys, I don't believe. I'm not a very religious man. I'm not even very spiritual man. You know, but the one thing I believe in is this. I mean, you tell me. Go back to last year game against Chicago. You're up 17. Mitchell Trubisky beat you in the fourth quarter by himself. Go back to the year before opening game. You're in Arizona. You end up tying the game up 18 and Stafford almost throws the pick six to Brock, which would have ended in overtime. You would have lost the game. Like without a doubt, they're cursed. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, look, I started my column Sunday by saying, I'm not going to say it. That was my lead. I'm not going to say it. Not now, not after this game or something like that. I'm still going to argue with Sunday just because of the ball hitting the crossbar. And by the way, and Carlos and I were talking about this in a video with, with Dave Burkett, the great Dave Burkett, by the way, Carlos, uh, after the game that we hadn't, I don't know about you, Jeff, we hadn't heard it that loud in there in a couple of years. And that, that crowd was actually ready to celebrate. They know this team's not very good, but that was kind of, that was going to be a really kind of fun, gritty win, right? The comeback in the second half, the way the, the, the way the defense had kind of stepped up late, the way they were playing the gaps against Lamar Jackson, it was, you were almost sort of surprised. The way Goff, the Goff and, and, and Swift started making plays and, uh, and and Raymond, the receiver, all five foot four of them. I mean, that was that was crazy. And then I and then that happens. And then it bounces. It bounces off the goalpost. What's that? I hadn't heard it that loud in at that point 30 minutes for what the fans did at halftime. Yeah, no, right, right, right. <laughs> that, that that was pretty loud, but no, I I, I agree with you. To go from I the agree. booing, like, you're booing to that that how loud, that crescendo right before that happened, and then to have it, and then and then it was just oh my god, it was the perfect SOL day from everything. And then by the way, look around the league, Prater to Agnew, Prater tries that long field goal, Agnew returns it for a touchdown, and then of course Matthew Stafford 
is everybody's MVP candidate after throwing four touchdowns against Tom Brady. So it's the perfect SOL. It thing. was. And by the way, you know what Carlos said? when Because that game was going on when we were still writing. We, I looked up at one point. We could see the score. And he's like, well, he's got, you know, he's got guys, right? So he didn't want to give Stafford any credit at all for what's going on in the Rams. No, I mean he gets he definitely gets credit, but he definitely I mean if you watch the Rams, you've been watching them, man, those receivers take everything. They grab everything. They do not drop a pass. I mean he and and this will be another conversation down the road, but it's all the whole like well was Stafford supported? Well, apparently he needs, you know, Pro Bowl you know, players, Pro Bowl caliber players at every position, and that's how he can do this. And he had really good players, but, you know, absolutely, he's getting tons of help. And maybe Sean McVay, maybe he's the answer. Maybe it's working. It's, you know, it's, it's that's his Belichick or something. I mean, we're going to find out, you know, in a few more weeks. But, yeah, I mean, it was – and I knew Stafford. The, 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 the way that this game ended, the Lions game, like, oh, yeah, Stafford's going to do something amazing. You just watch four or five touchdowns, sure enough. Where do you fall with this, Jeff? Because I, I, would, argue with, I would argue with Carlos that Stafford – excuse me, golf was throwing those same receivers a year ago. Now, I know they didn't have Deshaun Jackson, but he's like 40 years old at this point. He, he can still run. But, but look, the same team a year ago couldn't move the ball. And they won with their defense, and all, now all of a sudden they're throwing the ball over the place. Where do you fall with Stafford? Yeah, I, I believe in a good bit. And if you've ever listened to me, I, I grew really, really tired of Matthew Stafford because, and I'm an encyclopedia of his failures in Detroit. And of course, it's not his fault, all his fault, <laughs> but I, it always really bothered me that he was always let off the hook. Like I get Detroit's an awful franchise. And for 12 years, he was kind of stuck here. But it really, like whether it would be, whether it be having the ball in the Dallas game and the playoff game, whether it be 2000, go back to 2013 when they started six and two and Matt Stafford threw like 14 picks to five touchdowns in his final seven games. Like Matt Stafford, I always felt when the, when the stakes were at its highest and he had a chance to win the division twice against Aaron Rodgers in the final game of the season, couldn't do it in either game. One of those games, Aaron Rodgers was hurt, but I've always felt the highest stakes. He never came through. So yeah, he's, he's killing it in Los Angeles. But I, I will say this. He's been 3-0 and before in Detroit. And the last time the Rams were 3-0 and was 2019 with Jared Goff. So I'm not convinced of anything yet. Those receivers are wide open. Obviously, that has a lot to do with McVay. McVay is a genius. Stafford's a good quarterback. Heck, he's a, a very good quarterback. And he might win a Super Bowl, but I'm not ready to say it because so many years here, I kind of held him. I blamed him for a lot of the stuff. That, like, like the barometer was always win a playoff game. Now his barometer is he's got to win a Super Bowl or it's going to be a failure. But here in Detroit, if he would have won a playoff game, he would have had a statue. He would have been an idol for the rest <laughs> of his life. And he never got it done. And again, not all his fault. But if you listen to Stafford lovers, they never give him any blame. And it drives me nuts. So I'm sure just to troll myself, He's going to be fantastic in Los Angeles. He's been great in the first three weeks, but I'm going to give it a little more time because he was great early on in many seasons here in Detroit before he wasn't. It's funny, the Rams, well, and- go, uh, real quick, Carlos, the Rams uh, beat Tampa, uh, Tom Brady's team, Sunday, right? And and Bra- yeah. Brady threw for 400-plus yards, and they lost because their defense couldn't do anything. And just I thought, boy, that not that ironic, right? Here's Stafford. He's got the better defense, and the receivers that are ju- well, probably just as good. Tampa's got great receivers, too. Um, although they were missing Antonio Brown. But, yeah, I just – I mean, I couldn't help but watch that game and think Stafford's finally on the other sideline, the team with the, with, with some playmakers on defense and, and all that talent, and saw what happened. Well, you know, the thing, with, the thing with Stafford, too, I think this might be part of it, is the whole time he was in Detroit – it was a given that he was the starting quarterback. He would never yeah. had any pressure. You know, Jim Caldwell, basically, one of the reasons he lost his job is because he benched Stafford, and Stafford didn't support him after that. You know, but he it was just like, here you go. The unquestioned starter, we're not even going to think about drafting a quarterback high to put any pressure on you. So I think, and you know, athletes respond when there's pressure on them, and there is pressure on him to win in 
LA. I mean, he is the savior. He, I think that helps. That helps him to, you know. And obviously, there's probably some something else with him and McVeigh and how he's working out there and whatever their communication is that that's helping as well. But I think it's like he feels it. He cannot just have one of these. I have a good start and then kind of you know have an ebb and then you know come back and you know he's got. If he does not, if he makes it to the playoffs and he does not win a playoff game, I mean, you will see how quickly they'll get rid of him. I mean, he, he that's his job is to win and win big in L.A. and that's it. Hey, Je- hey Jeff, where'd you fall in the booing with Calvin Johnson during the halftime ceremony for his Hall of Fame uh, sort of recognition? A lot of people think it was embarrassing for Calvin. I think Calvin probably secretly loved it, considering <laughs> what's going on with him and the Ford family. Now, I did see a picture of Calvin hugging Sheila Ford, which kind of caught me by surprise. But I'm a big believer if you pay to be in the house, you do whatever you want, as long as you're not crossing the line. And the fact that everybody decided to boo Sheila Ford, I think that's 60 years of pent-up aggression. Saying It was. You guys yeah. have sucked, and we support you and we're going to let you have it. And I think it's bad on the Lions that they even put Sheila out there because you yes. had to know that was going to happen. And if you didn't, it's almost like Sheila seems surprised, yes. which kind of blows me away, meaning nobody told Sheila. Or maybe they did, but she didn't believe that she was that hated as much as her parents. But I'm all for it. I was actually very proud of the fan base. I'll say this, though. I'll say this. I'm sick of the whole story now. So hopefully we can just now move on. Kelvin versus Sheila. But... I, I liked it. I, I thought, what would you guys think? Well, I, I I think Sheila Fortham has some low-key swag. And, and my favorite part was when she leaned over and said, it's all right. Like, I'm going to sit here and take this yep. because of what my family's done. And it didn't. she didn't flinch to me. All right? I mean, I, I, you know. That's a good way to look at it. I've never thought about it. To that. me, that's what she did last winter when she set about trying to clean out all that toxicity. Uh, I'm sorry to say that about your guy, Carlos, but not just him, but, but on all the layers, all the – <laughs> the, the, the frowning and the darkness and all the bullshit melancholy. Excuse me. Sorry for my editors for cussing there. Hopefully, Tad, you can <laughs> you can fix that in post. But uh, no, seriously, they, she went in and said, this is how we're going to do it. I want, I want people to talk and be human beings, and we're going to get after it in a completely different way. And I think she fully knew what she was getting into, and she looked at Calvin Johnson and said, it's all right. And I, 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 I thought that was awesome. Actually, it was there. There's a there is a measured control with Sheila. You know, you don't see her getting like too upset. She she's kind of had a very interesting road to where she's come. She could she knew Pete Rozelle and he couldn't even help her get a job out of college in the NFL. She's been waiting for this moment for a long time. And you know, we're at Lions practice today. You know, for Jeff and 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 Sean, it's in Allen Park. If you guys ever want to stop by one of these days, but I, I was at, actually there. We're this at morning, practice, by the way. You were okay. It's on my computer, Carlos. It's on it's your computer. Zoom. It's amazing. I just, <laughs> I'll send you guys the MapQuest uh, directions. I'll mail them. Um, so anyway, we're there, and I'm going to give Will Birchfield full credit for this because he said he said you know we're talking about this whole that whole moment of booing Sheila, and said like, you know who you have to feel bad for is Martha. Her kid's getting booed. She's standing there and she's watching her daughter, who's kind of been groomed to take over for her. And, I mean, point. just watching your kid get booed by 50,000 people has got to be tough. So, you know, if she'd gone full Jim Schwartz double birds, you couldn't have blamed her for that. But, uh, but yeah, but, but Sheila handled it well. And Calvin, don't forget, he tried to calm the, the crowd down. I don't, his beef isn't with Sheila. I think his beef is with Rod Wood. Cause I don't think Rod Wood delivered that message the way it should And Rod been. wasn't out there. And he was not, he was smart enough to not be out there or he was told or whatever, but yeah, he was not going to be out there. Calvin probably said, you, I see Rod, I'm walking, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was unfortunate. It should have never happened. They should have brought out Chris Spielman to get cheered and to introduce Calvin. That would have been the, the layup. Hey, real quickly, Jeff, before we let you go, um, and thanks so much for giving us all this time. And I know, th- 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 look, this is a subject that's worthy of a whole other show, and we'll have you on again. But just real quickly, your quick, quick thoughts on the, the starts, that what, 4-0 now for each of, the, each of the college football teams around here? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I'm usually a pretty negative guy. I usually look at all the negative stuff and like to point it out. It's just uh, – you know, people call me a troll. So I guess uh, sometimes I try to be one. However, it's bizarre how people are reacting to both teams. I don't think either team is great. I think people understand that. I mean, hell, you saw that Rutgers game and you say to yourself, how are you that dominant in the first half? And then the second half, you just can't score the football. You can't move the football to save your life. Same thing with Michigan State, you know, pretty good in the first half, 
absolutely atrocious in the second half and couldn't get the ball away from Adrian Martinez. I think we both know that the teams are, are, are flawed. But here's the dirty little secret. This year, everybody's flawed in the Big Ten. Everybody either has offense. Maryland has offense, can't play defense. Ohio State can play offense, they can't play defense. Penn State can play defense, they can't play offense. Wisconsin can play defense, they can't play offense. So I think this is the perfect year that either Michigan or Michigan State could finally get to what the fan bases are looking for. And I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten. But I think everybody in the Big Ten should be with the mentality of why not us? Because the the conference ain't any good. And in fact, I don't think college football as a whole is all that dominant. I think you look at Georgia and Alabama and maybe Arkansas, maybe Oregon, and you say to yourself, who else is a great team? So I know fans are just waiting for that other shoe to drop with both programs, but I would say embrace it. I mean, Michigan could easily beat Wisconsin and Michigan State should beat Western Kentucky. You're both 5-0. and and the greatest thing in the world would be on October 30th, both teams to be 7-0 and going against each other. And maybe the winner wins the Big Ten East. So I know, I, I know they're flawed. And heck, I'm, maybe one of the teams will lose this weekend. But I say we should just enjoy it. Well, that's where I'm at. And we've certainly enjoyed having you. Any lost uh, quick thoughts, Carlos? No, this is this has been fantastic. And uh, Jeff, you just may have earned another, uh, another dozen Pro V1s for me. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa is right. Wow. wow. <laughs> Can I tell you a quick little story about those Pro V1s? Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to need some more because um, I lost them all. <laughs> all Was it just hole, holes in, in one? They're either in the woods or the water somewhere. <laughs> yes, you'll get more. We'll replenish the supply. <laughs> well, listen, uh, Jeff, thanks again for, for joining us and uh, taking all this time for livening up this podcast, for showing us how it's done. You're a professional. We're, am- we're we're amateurs. You know what I mean. So you're uh, you're oh, you're you're leading the way here. I think that's awesome. And uh, Thanks, we would. Guys. It was fun. I appreciate. Yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, it was really fun. We'll have you on again in uh, in a, down the road in six weeks, a, a couple of months. We'll be able to talk wings and the Pistons, and because they're getting ramped up here. And in the meantime, we look forward to seeing you in press boxes. Uh, you know, hopefully on Sundays, maybe even on Saturdays. We'll be around. We'll definitely be around. All right, Jeff. Thanks for thanks. having us, guys. All right, or thanks, me. man. All right, all right. That was uh, Jeff Rieger. Carlos, uh, tell us again. Co-host of the Wojo and Rieger show on ninety-seven point one from six to eight in the evenings, weekdays. Correct. Weekdays, Monday through Friday. So that's kind of redundant, but we started off with a redundancy. Listen, let's uh, let's take one more break here, and we'll come back and uh, and wrap up with a, a few thoughts about vaccinations and players and players. Uh, you know, maybe not being able to play, and then our our uh, favorite thing, right, Carlos? Absolutely, I'm ready. Okay. All right. We'll be back in a minute. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast on the line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts, and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Oh, God, Carlos, that was... How are we going to top that? I mean, we can't. He, Jeff, Jeff was was really good. We're obviously not going to top it. I mean, shoot, we're going to have. We may never top it, but uh, that that was great. That was a good get, man. Good instincts. Thanks for bringing Jeff on. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. I mean, you know, I know it's not for me. You did it for yourself, but still, <laughs> in, all, in all in all seriousness, that was uh, that was really fun. Hey, listen, man. I know we went long on uh, both those sections, but he was he was absolutely worth it. So let's. Um, the, the, one of the news, one of the news, uh, newsiest items of this last week, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger with the, what's going on with the NBA is uh, Tyler Bertuzzi uh, not refusing to take it. I hate to say refuse, but let's just say it: refusing to get vaccinated. He's the only Red Wings 
a player that has not. I think he's one of fewer than 10 in the NHL that has not been vaccinated. And all of a sudden it's blowing up because yesterday the NBA had their media day and a couple of big stars, well, Kyrie Irving is probably the biggest star, but Andrew Wiggins who plays the Golden State Warriors, they become these uh, sort of flashpoints all of a sudden for getting a vaccine or not. And they're both in states, Wiggins in California and Kyrie in New York, he lives in Brooklyn, because those states have strict rules about getting vac- vaccinated and, and whether you can be in a in an indoor arena with a certain amount of people. So they may not be able to play, but I just, where do you fall down on this? Because everybody says, and Bertuzzi said this, it's a personal choice. Um, I don't think, I mean, it is a personal choice, but they're public ramifications. I'm just curious what you think about all this. Yeah, I think that, you know, at the end of the whole thing, um, you know, you, you can say what you want. You can think what you want. You have the freedom of choice and all this stuff. But at the bottom line is it makes you a bad teammate. You're hurting your team, especially when you're when you're a big star like Kyrie or you're a, an important player like Bertuzzi and Wiggins. That The team needs you. Um, you know, and I, the, the players are all saying the same thing. They're all, the teammates are all supporting them. And, well, it's his choice. We respect that, this and that. I think Steph Curry was very very uh, politic in his answer about Wiggins and he was, you know, very careful, but you know, I mean, the guy's on your team for a reason, you know, and especially in basketball, you have the roster so, so, so small, it's hard to make up for a loss like that. So I, I just don't like it. I mean, I don't think there's any team. There's, there's not one teammate and especially, especially in Bertuzzi's case, well, in all three cases, it's the only guy on the team who's not doing it. It's like, well, what if everybody decided to make that choice? Well, and I don't want to do it either. I'm pretty sure that I'm just guessing, but then you can't play, right? Then you can't play. Right. I mean, right. it's, it's just, it's just not, I don't think it's fair to the teammates because they didn't, they didn't make that choice. They sacrificed. Maybe they didn't agree with the whole vaccination thing, but they want to be there for their team and, you know, either pursue a championship or the rebuild, whatever the case may be, but it's just not fair. No, and, and I'm with you, and I'm, and I'm getting so tired of hearing how it's a personal choice. I mean, I understand, but it's not a decision of whether you're going to take insulin or chemotherapy, right, or or whatever, whether you're going to get a, a bypass surgery. That's a personal choice. This is a public health issue. It is a pandemic. And the fact is, all these other folks who are getting vaccinated, including, by the way, in the Red Wings, it's not – I mean, the NHL and the NBA have both mandated – all their front offices, the coaching staffs, any, anybody that works in a building, marketing folks, sales folks, the folks that have to go into the arenas and sell concessions, ushers, all these people are getting vaccinated, which is allowing fans, and most of the fans, at least in Michigan, it's up to 60% of the, of the population. So you assume at, a, at Little Caesars, it'll be at least half, you know, I don't, you know, depending on the demographics there. So all of that allows. Tyler Bertuzzi, and I wrote this in my column the other day, to go play in front of a crowd surrounded by all those people with his teammates and have that experience and make that money because they're all vaccinated. Right. And 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 to me, that's what's just outrageous. At some point, we're getting slowly back to normal because people are taking the vaccine. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. It's it's hypocrisy, right? I mean, and and the other thing, too, is I just don't you know, the science has told us that this is safe. You know, you're following, we're, we're all following the science on this. And, and I've written this before. And I think, you know, I, I know people personally who have told me, you know, not stars or anything, but just normal people who've told me that they don't want to get the vaccine. And the number one thing that it seems to scare people is um, pregnancy and fertility. And there could be problems with that and child, you know, development issues, whatever. That is completely unproven. And people, it's a, it's a fear-mongering message out there. And, you know, I, I think that's this, this fear of distrust, I guess, um, is kind of more or less what's fueling all these things. But, I, you know, it just, it, just, it just doesn't seem, I just, I don't feel... I feel bad for the teammates. And like you said, Sean, the fans, that's a damn good point too, right? Everybody there has gotten vaccinated and they're, you know, in the Or at least enough of them. Yeah, at least enough of them to be there, you know? And you're right, right about you're right about the fear. And it's made worse. It's exacerbated by a handful, I don't know, maybe maybe not even 100, a couple of dozen medical people, for doctors, who are unscrupulous, loathsome creatures who are out there who know damn well they're selling their souls and they're probably making money because they become these cult heroes within these conspiracy groups and they're peddling crap 
and they know they're doing it and they're taking advantage of it. And it's just, it's, it's outrageous. Look, I understand within certain communities, especially within the black community and the history of our, our government and black folks being used as guinea pigs and on all that. So I understand hesitancy to, to a point, right? That's certainly understandable, but that's not what the majority of these folks are, are, are talking about out there, right? That's a, that's a smaller segment. That's right. not what we're talking about. That's certainly not what Tyler Bertuzzi's talking about. Right. And it's it's you know, and on the one hand, you know, I do I do understand that people don't like to be dictated to. Nobody likes to be dictated to. You know, I think you mentioned that in the column about freedom and all that freedom of choice and all that. You know, um, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, because of a union, the union issues within the players' yeah, associations. It. Yep. But it's almost to me, it's like, hey, you don't want to get vaccinated. You want to you don't want to follow the rules of the league and the team. All right, then you're not you're not going to play. And how about not getting a paycheck then? You can make that choice. You have the freedom to make that choice. I mean, we all have jobs. You know, if we're going to go cover the Red Wings or we're going to go cover, you know, all these teams, whatever, like if we don't show proof of vaccination, we cannot go. So, you know, in many cases, you have to show proof of vaccination to do your job. And I think a lot of people out there are in the same boat. You know, they're doing their jobs. So this guy gets a pass, you know, and that's it's a it's a obviously a labor issue kind of thing. But I just don't like it. I don't like that he's getting that these guys are getting passes in some fashion, basically because they're stars. Well, they're getting passes too because other people have done it, right? And and that and that's what's uh, and that's what's too bad. And look, and I don't want to harp too much again. I yes, on some level, it is a personal choice, but it is a personal choice in a larger context in a public arena. So right, it it affects other people. And that's the thing, and, and and that's what's tough about a lot of our culture right now is we, we we've too too many of us, and, and I, I'm guilty of this too myself sometimes. Too many of us make decisions that we think are in a vacuum, and they are not, and uh, and and that's what we're trying to navigate. In any case, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Sorry, Carlos. Well, let me ask you a lot, one question about that. It's just so so you know Kyrie and Wiggins they can't play in their own arenas because of the the state laws there in New York and California. But Bertuzzi can't play in Canada um, right. because of the, they have nine games in Canada this year. But so it's kind of weird that the home fans for the Nets and the Warriors may not see them play. But of course, when they're on the road, they'll probably get booed if they're playing in an arena in an estate that allows them to play. But like, will Bertuzzi get a pass? Will fans be angry with him when he's playing at Little Caesars Arena? Or I mean, I wonder what the reaction is going to be. Uh, probably not. I mean, I'm mean, I'm just thinking about the the hockey crowd. I don't know. God, I sure don't want to stereotype. But um, the demographics of that of that crowd and and what the politics of that crowd are, I I would bet you anything that that crowd won't be sixty percent vaccinated, like the the state is. But I could be completely wrong. That's just a guess, kind of based on being out in the last couple of years of the pandemic and doing doing sort of informal mass surveys and where where masks were more <laughs> popular or not. I mean, because no, because the masking goes along with the vaccine to some degree, right? And right. the communities I've been in where I go, especially a year ago, and I would see fewer masks are probably the communities where there are fewer vaccines. Um, I, I, they probably don't completely align, but you know, so I I don't know I. I There'd probably be some people that would be upset, but again, I mean, are you really going to go boo for something like that? Not, not, not attend know. specifically to boo, but just you know, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that Kyrie and and Wiggins will be booed on the road, you know, um, if they play there. Yeah, uh, again, the demographics, you know, um, of the NBA are different, um, but it just be interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, too, is just as a no matter what, where you fall on this, whatever. The end of the the end of the the story, the you know, is that. Bertuzzi is not going to be there for at least nine games in Canada as of now. You know, that's hurting your team. What if it happens later in the season? And it's like, boy, we could really use a scoring touch, you know, but can't play, can't come, can't, can't be on this trip. No, and I can't believe the Wings. The, the, you're right. The Wings are saying all the right things and, and, and good for them. They have no choice. And I understand that's part of coaching, as part of being a general manager. Eisman said the right things. But, uh, but I can't believe, I, I can't imagine they're happy with it behind the scenes at all. You know, it's no, got to well, be frustrating, right? Because everybody else is making a sacrifice to get the shot. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, of course, if you asked any of the wings privately or if they were being honest, if they, you know, like, would if you would, if you could prefer Tyler to have the, you know, Bertuzzi to have the shot or not, they'd say, oh, of course, get the shot. You know, we all did. You know, <laughs> of course they would. But, yeah, you just can't. You don't want to seem seem like uh, 
there's a you know tension in the locker room and discord and all that. Well, I I know we could we could uh, you know we could make a whole show out of this and uh, but we don't want to. I know a lot of people are sick of this issue and I don't blame I don't blame folks for feeling that way at all. But uh, it uh, you know it's been a big part of the news lately and it's gonna it's gonna be interesting especially through the NBA season. I think the NHL it's a little less again it's fewer than ten people and that that number may even gr- uh, shrink. I don't know that Wilbert Bertuzzi, but uh, that's where it is. Listen, Carlos. Um, let's let's get a little cheery here and talk about your favorite thing it's my favorite my favorite part of the show is my favorite thing okay uh yeah so actually this tie this actually kind of ties in to jeff rigger being the guest today is after that game with the lions we're down in the basement of ford field that's where we do the interviews with the players and the coaches and um the two things that that made it fun were was rigger comes bounding down i'm in a hallway waiting to go into one of the interview areas and rigor comes bounding down with his phone in his hand he's like did you guys ask did you guys ask about the the play clock yet and i'm like what are you talking about i had no idea about the play clock thing you know like i'm i found I my story jump in the elevator go down i had no idea that that was a, a an issue um you know at stake and so he's asking about that, and, and there's like this buzz down there. And then Justin Tucker comes up. The visiting locker or interview area is right by you know where I'm standing, and he comes over. He has the ball that he kicked you know for the for the winning field goal at his feet. He's in his full uniform still, and he starts doing interview. And we he's like ten feet away from us, so we're not trying to eavesdrop, but there's no way to avoid it. He's talking pretty loud on the phone, and he's actually talking to Peter King. And he's going on and on about all these different things. And it was just, it was surreal just to see like this guy just, you know, crushed how many Lions fans hopes, uh, you know, you know, there's misery upstairs. There's misery in these, in these interview rooms and Justin Tucker is just happy as a clam talking about how he's going to celebrate with a bottle of wine. And, and it was just one of those moments that's just kind of, it's a fun sort of coda to the experience of covering a game sometimes you get these little moments that you get to sort of be privy to that nobody else gets to see um so it was it was just it was an exciting game it was a fun game to cover and i've said this before sean hey if you're going to be part of a loss make it a if you're if you're a fan and you're going to be watch the lions lose at least make it a historic epic loss so you can tell your kids i was there for that the longest field goal in nfl history beat us blah 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 but it was just a it was just a cap to a great fun day for me well, that's uh, that's good. I'm gonna, I'm going to go ahead and stay there. I'm not going to make it about. Uh, we had a house full of people last week. Uh, some out of town family from Nebraska. They were here to celebrate a, a niece of mine who's, who's turning uh, who turned 18. Her her birthday was a big surprise. Thing. It was great. And another niece of mine who were here was also 18. Very very cool. I'm not going to make it about that. Go, Carlos. Or her mother texted me last night saying, "Hey, I'm now the favorite uncle." She she thought I was cool because <laughs> I was a little chill, but I don't want to make it about that. I'm going to go back real quick to the to the halftime. I, I just, I loved, and I know I mentioned this earlier, but I just, I, I was really um, impressed. Not just impressed, that that's a, a ridiculous word in this. It's, I, just, I just thought it was really cool and showed a lot of guts and also sort of comfortable, uh, comfortability with with yourself when, when Sheila Ford Hamp turned to Calvin Jansen and said, it's all right. She was okay with herself in that moment. And I thought, you know, Maybe something's gonna something's gonna happen with her down the road with this with this franchise. I don't know for sure, but I just I just really really like that moment. I just she was willing to sit there and absorb all that anger and frustration and all that angst and all that pain, and then tell Calvin Johnson it's okay. I've got this. I'm gonna take this, and you're still gonna have your moment. That is that's awesome, and I wish. I wish that we could ask her, did you know this was going to happen? Did you expect it? There's cuz there's there's actually both both of them are good outcomes cuz if she says, "Yeah, I figured they would going to they would be unhappy and maybe boo me a little bit, but I'm the leader of this franchise and I, I that's part of stepping up." Or two, I didn't know it was going to happen, but she handled it very well. No, I agree those are both. But my guess is she probably had some idea, right? She just seems savvy. She seems like she has a and, and and she's good with human nature. She, I mean, at least I sense that from afar. Well, I, I don't know if she would have. This is such a unique moment. She really hasn't done something like this. And the Calvin Johnson situation is a really weird, unique thing. Uh, I don't know if she would have known. And and you know how it is, Sean. You know, you don't really want to be the person 
telling the franchise owner not to do something if she wants to do it. It's hard to, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be the bearer of bad news or, get, you know, be the messenger who's killed. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, that, I think that dynamic would be fascinating if we could ever found out, find out how it happened, how it went down, what her thoughts were. Um, but yeah, I mean, good. And she's, she's, I mean, fans who, I hope that they've learned enough about her through what we've written and stuff. And maybe some of her interviews that she does seem to have this, just like you said, like this comfortable nature to herself. She's comfortable in her skin. Uh, you know, doesn't seem to like take herself too seriously. Like this is life or death and get angry and whatever. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a very cool moment. But, but she's also serious at the same time, right? Listen, Carlos, uh, uh, it's been a pleasure again. Thanks again for uh, for getting Jeff. That was a, a, a great find. It's always uh, fun to take, um, what do we take, a little more than an hour here and shoot the breeze and try to try to unlock or uh, unpack, as you like to say, a few a few different things in the Detroit sports uh, world and a little bit uh, a little bit beyond. So, any final thoughts before we before we wrap up another week? It flew by, and Jeff was so good. I will send him another dozen golf balls, but. You know, that, that sport is too elitist for you, so you get no golf balls. Okay, I, well, I can't play anyway. I have the shanks last time I tried to play 30 years ago. <laughs> so we're all good. Well, listen, uh, for, for, for me, uh, Sean Windsor, for Carlos Menares, that is our show for the week. Uh, thanks for listening and taking time out of your schedule. We want to thank our producer. Our, uh, that's not enough, is it, Carlos? Producer extraordinaire, Ted Davis. Our executive editors uh, and co-producers, I guess, too. Carlos, uh, I shouldn't say I guess, Carlos. They are Kirkland Crawford, Nanjanao Delgado, and, of course, the big guy, Peter Batia, the executive editor of the Free Press. If you like the show, leave a rating, subscribe, or share it. It really helps new listeners find the show. We will see you next week. Somehow.